Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Women Tech Charge. I'm Amri, your host. I'm a mathematician and a computer scientist. And so I don't know if there are words to describe how I'm feeling about having what I think is our first mathematician on the podcast. Long overdue and the surprise in your face. I actually, I feel, I'm embarrassed that this is the first time I think we're having a mathematician on. So I would like to welcome Eugenia Cheng, Dr. Eugenia Cheng, who is a mathematician and concert pianist who aims to rid the world of mass phobia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And I'd just like to say I'm not the first mathematician on your podcast because you are. Oh yeah! (laughs) This is why I should have mathematicians on. I'm more than excited to have you here because of statements like what you just made, but also because you love food and we will come to that shortly. So for anyone who um, doesn't like baking and doesn't know already that they like maths and so may not have come across you, let's start at the beginning of the story. So you're a mathematician, I guess we like to say kind of born and bred. You studied it the whole, like from the beginning. That yeah. was always something you knew you were going to do. It was always something that I wanted to do, along with the piano, because I loved both of those things right from when I was really, really little. And that definitely came from my parents. They love music and they also love maths. And I think that's really important because if your parents hate maths or say, oh, I'm no good at maths, then that passes on to the next generation. So, yeah, I always really, really loved it. And I think I I wanted to be a mathematician, although I didn't know what that was. I don't know what I thought I wanted to be. I just had it in my head. And I'm so lucky that I had that environment to grow up in. And And now I know that not everyone, especially girls, don't have that kind of environment. And so I want to 
show everyone that maths can be something to love and enjoy rather than fear. So you grew up on the South Downs. Mathematics was a big part of your life and music was a big part of your life. You're a concert pianist. So there's a lot that you talk about in terms of music, a lot that you talk about in terms of maths. What for you is the link between the two? Why do you feel like both of them have been passions that you've been able to cling on to and kind of enact them? It's very interesting to me because when I was little and for and actually until I was quite big too, for me, maths and music felt like they occupied opposite parts of my life. Really? And that they were okay. complementary rather than working together. And it was partly because maths lessons at school I found quite rigid and so I sympathize with people who think of maths as something rigid and I was lucky that I was quite good at it because my parents had done a lot of stuff with me at home so I was kind of ahead the whole time and so I knew I loved maths but the classes themselves didn't really feel like they stretched me whereas in my playing the piano myself, I could stretch myself as far as I wanted to go. And I could, there were no constraints and I could really express myself and do things that were, felt like they were unique to me. Whereas we all know that in typical maths classes, you have to do the same as everybody else. And that's not that fun for children. And so I completely sympathize with people who think that maths isn't fun like that. I just happened to know that it was fun outside of classes because my mother helped me see that. Yeah. But for me, music was the place where I expressed myself. I had feelings. I could do things by myself, go really fast. I could and, and communicate with people emotionally. The aspect of reaching people emotionally was important to me. And for maths, what was important to me was really, really clear understanding of situations. Yeah. And it was only later, after people had asked me maybe 20 billion times what the link was between maths and music, and I'd been going, oh, what and then I thought, you know, actually, there is something in my head, which is the, the process of understanding something is really important in music because when you play difficult pieces, really big pieces, you have to understand the structure of how it fits together. Otherwise, it's too hard. It's like if you read a book and you just read every letter in the book one by one, it'd be impossible. <laughs> and so when you first learn to read, you read it kind of letter by letter, and then you have to start understanding words and then sentences and paragraphs and things. And it's the same with music. You don't play it note by note. You fit structures together so that you can package stuff up and then our poor little brains can understand more things. And that's what maths is about to me. It's about putting things together into units that you can then understand better. And then, I realized that the link goes the other way as well, that it's not only music that is about communicating with people, that actually maths is not thought of as being about communicating with people. But to me, it is because it's about how to be clear what we're all thinking and how to be able to reach agreement and be, be very precise about what we're trying to express 
and ironing out ambiguities. It doesn't mean we'll all agree with each other and we will not all agree with each other, but it means that we can actually try to be clear about what we're saying. And that is about communication. So it's all part of the same thing, really. I love the last part you were just saying, because I think it's, when I talk about maths and music, I think my the first time I realised that they were linked together was when I started university, there was someone in our cohort who had just finished a music degree and was about to start a maths degree. Right. So we, we construct these boundaries between subjects and they're there for just really stupid human reasons like bureaucracy, where funding is going to come from. Everyone has to be in a department. Everyone has to be labelled and categorised. And those boundaries are human constructs. And they're not really there. And we do that so often in life. Humans just put boundaries up. And sometimes sometimes some of, we don't put up enough boundaries. And so we let people ex- people exploit us. But we put up boundaries between countries. We put up boundaries between counties. We put up, I mean, all of these boundaries, we put up boundaries between between nationalities. And all of, all of this is very contrived. And it's the same with subjects that really there's, are we all trying to understand the world better? And I hope we are. I think we are. And I, and I think the boundaries, I think that's probably why we end up having the boundaries. So when we talk about maths, and you, you kind of mentioned it there earlier, it's about patterns and understanding how things lock together. And so sometimes you do need to be able to say that's even and that's odd and then kind of work around it. And then the problem is when you get to a zero and it's like, okay, cool. Is zero even? Is zero odd? We won't go into that now. But, you know, it's that kind of thing. If you try to categorise to make sense, but I think like you're saying, it's the maintaining the categorization for bureaucracy or whatever or or funding or um timetabling or whatever it is and doing that to the point where then you never say do you know what let's go back again now that we've kind of got some better idea of what's going on let's go back again and then let's actually do the work we wanted to do rather than saying let's remain remain in those boundaries and the thing is that maths a higher level maths is never about making permanent boundaries yes you say temporarily for this particular purpose there's a sense in which we can separate these things out. But we're not saying that's the absolute truth. And I think a lot of people don't like maths because they think it's all black and white and about absolute truths. And then there are the people who like maths because they think it's all black and white and about absolute truth. And it's all wrong. But in fact, and I say this to my art students, many of, most of my art students say they don't like maths because it's all about clear answers and that's not interesting to them and I say actually it's not about clear answers it's about investigating senses in which we can look at things in different ways and find that different things can be true in different situations and then we don't declare this one this is the right one we never do that we say in this case this happens and in this case this happens and in this case this happens so that when we get then go into the world we can try and recognize which case we're in and then say, ah, oh, this is a this is a case in which this is happening. But then, if we look at it from this other point of view, so yeah, so it's it's a lot of it is about flexibility and seeing things from different points of view, which is so important. And I think maybe practically all of the world's problems at the moment come from rigid thinking and from people being so determined to maintain boundaries rather than seeing things from another point of view, seeing things from another person's point of view, seeing things from another culture's point of view, and remaining flexible. Women Tech Charge is sponsored by Huawei. 20 years connecting the UK.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So let's go back. Because this is the thing I think I was the most excited to talk to you about. You have a whole series of books of just food and maths. So how, how does, where does that start? So when you're teaching, to teach well, I really think you have to understand what motivates your students and tap into that motivation. And when I was teaching at the University of Sheffield, I, as you might be able to tell, I always like telling stories. And I noticed that the students always particularly perked up if it was a story about food. <laughs> food, okay. <laughs> that is a meal. So which, of course, is French for 1,000 leaves or sheets. So the theory is that there are 1,000 sheets of pastry in this. Now you're going to look at me and tell me I'm an idiot because you can count and there's three. One, two, three. But that's not the point. It, it started dawning on me that I could explain practically everything, everything in that course yeah. with some food thing. <laughs> and that I could take practically any food thing and find some maths in it because I really believe that maths is everywhere. And to that. make good on that claim, I can pick up practically any object and spontaneously <laughs> think about what maths is in it. And so it became this thing. We keep folding our pastry up by three and we do it six times. Six. In other words, it's three to the power of six, which is 729. And you'll tell me that's still not a thousand layers of pastry, is it? And then when I proposed a book, I was worried that they wouldn't like the idea of it being just about food and math. So I told, told loads of stories and they said, this is great. And we want the whole book to be about math. Yes, <laughs> winning. But remember, we started with two layers right at the beginning. And besides which, look, we've got three pieces of pastry all stacked up. So we get to multiply it by another three. And if I'm not mistaken, that actually makes 4,000. 374 layers of pastry, which is the amazing thing that happens when you raise things to powers. They get enormous really quickly. Another thing that I find with maths, when I talk to other people about it and when I look back on my journey, 
is that at least in the British schooling system, and I know this differs elsewhere, for us, there's there's quite a big flip when you go from GCSE, which is quite practical-ish, to A-level, which is kind of a, a jump. And then you go and study at university and it's yeah. almost like all the stuff we told you, we're going to lift, we're going to pull back the curtain and yeah. show you all the centuries of work. So mm-hmm. I remember one thing I always tell people is we had one lecture that zero is not equal to one. That was like a full lecture that we had and we went through everything. And it's really funny. There's always something I kind of ask people you recognise there was that shift. You've continued on with the maths. I kind of mixed it with computer science because after a while I was like, look, that was 300 years ago and I, I don't want to wait 300 years to see whatever <laughs> the impact of whatever I'm doing. So I'm, I'm going to turn to the computer science side now. But for you, why do you think, you know, even though it's changed and it's undulated and you've, you're now kind of, you're behind the curtain, you're living behind the curtain, I guess, of like everything that happened why have you stayed with maths do you think why is it something that you've clung to I think it's partly it's because I never really liked the other kind so it's not like I was really into GCSE maths and A-level maths and then they pulled back the curtain and I went ah I never liked GCSE maths honestly or A-level maths I knew I just knew there was something deeper there and because I always wanted to have the deepest possible explanation for why something was going on. And so spending spending several weeks proving that one plus one equals two, that's great to me because some people just go, well, it's obviously two, but I know there are situations in which it's not two. One plus one doesn't have to equal two. And this is the point where people who think rigidly get really upset and go, what is this kind of progressive math? You're like woke math, what's going on? And uh, the thing is that all children know there are situations in which one plus one doesn't equal two. Like you give me one cookie and you give me another cookie, there will be zero cookies, yeah. except in my stomach. And so, or if you say I'm not not hungry, that means I'm hungry. <laughs> and so, I wanted to explore those deep, the deep explanations of what what is the situation in which we say one plus one equals two, and why why do these things happen? All these things that we sort of take for granted. I don't like taking things for granted, and I don't like having to believe people just because they say so. And that was the thing that really bothered me. It's 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 that situation where you have a professor authority figure saying. This is how it happens because I say so. And I think actually a lot of people put off maths by that idea. And that the sometimes the people who like maths all the way through school are the ones who are put off by the pulling back of the curtain because they don't want to spend ages, nothing against you, but they don't want, if you don't want to spend ages <laughs> explaining things that seem obvious, then, yeah. then you'll be put off. But if you actually want to say, wait, what if it's not obvious? Because there are so many situations in the world where people go, well, that's obvious. And that's how we get people saying things like that climate change isn't real because they think it's obvious. To them, it's obvious that climate change isn't real. And that's not a good enough argument. Or people say they think it's obvious to them that vaccination causes autism. And it feels obvious to them. And that seems enough to them. And that's not a good enough argument. And I wished that that were the case for everyone, that just because it feels obvious, it doesn't mean that it's right or a good argument. And I want better arguments. I always wanted better arguments than that. I want to go on to what you actually do at the moment. So you studied maths at Cambridge. You're a mathematician, but you're currently scientist in residence at the School of Art Institute in Chicago, 
where you teach maths to art students. How does something like that come about? The short story is one day I got an email saying they needed someone to teach one maths course at the School of the Art Institute. And I thought, what? I didn't know they taught maths there. This is my dream job. And so that was that. <laughs> the, the longer story is I was a kind of normal maths lecturer in a normal university teaching normal math students. And that was what I always thought I wanted to do. That was, I, I wanted that. So I did all the things you have to do to do that. Like you have to do research, publish papers, take postdocs, travel around the world, uproot yourself repeatedly, tear your hair out, applying for jobs and applying for grants. And then, and then I got tenure. And then I sat there and went, wait, I don't know if I like this. I've spent my whole life working mm -hmm. towards this and I don't know if I like it. Mm -hmm. And there were various reasons and a big one was unfortunately the environment and I when I was new and I think this happens to a lot of young women that when they're new they just think oh I'm young I'm the youngest person here that's why I'm not being respected and then after some years you go wait I'm still not being respected plus I didn't I didn't feel like I was doing much good in the world and to me okay. for me it's really important to look at what you're good at and the, what you, what, the things you've been given in life and figure out how you can make best use of that to help the world in some way that you care about. And I just felt like teaching maths to math students was not doing much for the world, honestly. And I thought if I stop, you know, if I stop teaching calculus to these students, someone else will teach calculus to these students. But who is helping people in the world overcome math phobia? Who is explaining what abstract mathematics is about to people who don't know what it's about? Plus, I got so fed up with the images of the mathematicians that are out there in the media or that who get portrayed by Hollywood. And we know what they're like. They're all older white men who can't make eye contact, who don't have friends, who are very strange. And I think it's, first of all, it's more dramatic and it, and it, it comforts people, but it's lazy, but I think it also comforts people who feel that they're not good at maths because they go, oh, well, at least I have social skills. And so I wanted yeah. to put myself out there to show, actually, you don't have to be like that to be a mathematician because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If, if all the people you see are, are weird white men who have no friends being mathematicians, then you go, oh, well, I, I don't think I can be that. But then, and then the only people who think they're cut out to be mathematicians will be other weird white men who have no friends. And then it perpetuates itself. So I started think, looking for ways to reach out beyond just the university. And that's when I started doing more. I had been doing putting stuff on YouTube. And then I and then I wrote my first book. And that was this really pie? Was this how to bake how pie? How to bake pie, yeah. And yes. because that really took off, that gave me a bit of flexibility where I didn't have to feel like I was completely stuck in my tenured job. And so I went back to Chicago on sabbatical where I'd always had a really good time in Chicago. And, and then this job at the Art Institute came up and it was one semester. And I thought, this is my dream job because, because who's, who's helping art students understand maths? And, and I also felt like it would be a really good place to learn myself about people's fear of maths in order to then go into the world and try and help the world do better. So I, that, as here, here, and that feels like a really good place to end the podcast. However, there's one final thing. I think when I was coming into this, there's so much, when we talk about maths and removing maths phobia and kind of even maths itself, I'm, I'm so thankful for everyone that's listened that has maths phobia, that's listened to the end, that's kind of stayed with us and has enjoyed themselves. And it's all, I'm always thinking what's next. And I think, 
it's pro- it's firstly to read the book. I, for one, I'm kind of downloading it on my Kindle now, making sure that I read it and I've got it locked in and I'm there and I'm ready with X, Y, because obviously it's not food. So the initial kind of impetus was this <laughs> and it would have been to make five. But I think my second one is, what is the call? What's your main call to action? Because I think with learn with tech, it can be learn to code. Da, 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 da. With with maths or with your with maths phobia, once people have read the book, is it obvious for what they do next? Because I don't know that we want everyone to be an academic. I feel like everyone can be a mathematician or can, maybe not necessarily a paid mathematician, but everyone is a mathematician. Um, what is what's your call to action? What are you wanting people that are listening? What do you want these women trying to tech charge? What do you want them to do next? So the end of my book is a call to action. Or just if you're if there's someone who's younger than you or something, look out for people who need support and who who underestimate themselves and give them that support so that we don't need to rely on people's arrogant self-belief, that we can give people belief from outside and then we can tap into the amazing untapped potential of people around us. Thank you very much, Eugenia. This has been all that I hoped it would be and so, so, so much more. Oh, thank you. And how annoying that we have to actually end this conversation. Thank you so much for coming podcast. Thank you for coming on and being the second mathematician. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.